everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Growing Kentucky's Leaders. I'm Sheldon McKinney, and I'm the Executive Director of the Kentucky FFA Foundation. And I'm Ruth Ann Fink, the Development Officer of the Kentucky FFA Foundation. And we have a wonderful guest for you all today. We have Kentucky's Commissioner of Agriculture in his first few months of service, uh, Jonathan Shell. Jonathan is a fifth-generation farmer from Garrett County. He has a rich history of, with Kentucky FFA and is a former member. So, Jonathan, just tell our listeners some who you are and what they should know about you. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on here with you, Sheldon and Ruthann. Uh, I am like you said, fifth generation farmer. It's what I've always done. I've never known anything different. You know, I grew up riding in the truck with my granddad, listening to him to talk about things and how to farm and what to do. And, uh, you know, I was on my dad's shoulders, topping tobacco whenever I was just a baby, you know, that's, that's what I've done is farm. And, uh, I've got a family, I've got a wife of uh, 12 years getting ready to be 13. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, i got four kids, two of which are adopted, my oldest and youngest. Uh, they range from 12, 10, 8, and 6. We just had a birthday for my youngest. And I've uh, been involved in public service. I was a state representative from Garrett County, uh, represented Garrett, Madison, and Rockcastle counties in the state legislature, was the House Majority Leader for the state of Kentucky, and uh, now Commissioner of Agriculture for the state. And, and just really excited uh, here in the first few weeks and months of my tenure of really getting in there and and uh, getting to know the employees that work in the department, getting to work with the new associations uh, that I get to work with. And some of them I've worked with in the past. Some of them are brand new that I'll get to work with. Uh, and so the future's bright and I'm really excited to be able to talk to you all. Someone who is um, really, you all are the, at the forefront of the future of Kentucky agriculture uh, with these young people that are coming out of your organization at FFA. Well, we'd be remiss to not mention your big award that you had when you were uh, an FFA member. So you were a state star in agribusiness. And I think it's worth sharing with our listeners. We have a lot of FFA members in Kentucky that listen to this podcast. If you would just share with them, like, what was your SAE, that supervised agriculture experience that helped you become a state star in agribusiness? You know, it was uh, based around uh, our farm and my productivity and business that we have here with the greenhouse operation and with our cattle market that we have, uh, it's diversified even more since then. Um, you know, used to, we were a very uh, traditional tobacco and cattle operation. We had a little bit of diversification with the greenhouses that we had. Uh, now today, we don't do tobacco anymore, but we are uh, about two acres under roof and greenhouse that so we do hanging baskets, bedding plants. Uh, we run several hundred head of cattle a year. Uh, backgrounders, including a cow-calf operation as well. Uh, we raise corn for silage and hay to feed the cattle. And then uh, we also got into the pumpkin business and I grow decorative mm-hmm. pumpkins. These ugly ones, you know, the stackers yeah. and the warties and yeah. all the jack-o'-lanterns. Uh, Sheldon has seen my pumpkins before. Uh-huh. So, uh, but I, uh, that's, that's my favorite business I've ever been involved in. Honestly, the pumpkin business. I absolutely love it. Hmm. What makes my the pumpkin business special? Sorry. Yeah. Say again, Sheldon, I'm sorry. What makes the pumpkin business unique? <laughs> You know, I I have figured out that I can make more money selling things that people don't need than what people need. And people don't need pumpkins on their front porch, but they (laughs) like to buy them. And, uh, but my favorite part about it is just my my kids, I have four kids. And so we homeschool three of them. um, And whenever I, whenever they get done with their work, I can bring them out. And it reminds me a lot of tobacco. You know, if you, if, if you or your listeners have been in tobacco, tobacco was a very uh, um, uh, social event that would happen. You know, you'd have a lot Mm -hmm. of people working on the farm. Uh, you'd be out there, you'd be working, you'd be joking, you'd be cutting jokes, you know, carrying on. There's a lot of hard work, but it was very, uh, uh, had a lot of camaraderie around it. 
And the pumpkin business is the closest thing that I've been in that's kind of replaced that. Now, it's not replacing the money. You can't do as many acres as you do in the tobacco, but uh, it, it definitely has replaced some of that feeling on the farm of getting back to that camaraderie around uh, working with people and and uh, and then the retail side of it, being able to make those connections and the wholesale side that we do. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so good. Um, yeah, tobacco was such a community event and memories, and yep. it's, it is it's special to get to replace that. You know, FFA is also a community of of people and camaraderie is a part of that. Tell us a little bit about how your FFA experience shaped you and um, what you think it really still is instilling in members across Kentucky. You know, I'm a, I would guess you would call it a legacy FFA family. My my dad was in FFA. My brother was in FFA. I'm in FFA. Uh, I want my kids to be in FFA. And you know, for me, my FFA experience did a tremendous amount. Uh, one, uh, I was always pretty outgoing. You know, it wasn't, uh, you know, I know a lot of kids, whenever they get in an FFA, they, they worry about speeches. They don't want to get in front of people and talk, those kind of things. I didn't really have that problem that a lot of kids do whenever they come into it because I watched my dad and my granddad be involved in the community over the years. They'd get up and, you know, give speeches or be on the Farm Bureau board. And so it kind of was natural for me coming from my granddad, my dad, and my grandmother of their involvement that was there. And so what it did for me was it more instilled discipline in me in my words, meaning something and uh, not to speak just to speak, but actually speak with purpose in what you're doing. It helped me to understand how to advocate on behalf of not only myself, but, but my community and the people around me. Um, it, it taught me the, you know, the, the, the official business of the business community and parliamentary procedure and, understanding uh, that there's certain ways that you go about doing things that it just doesn't happen. Uh, it gave structure to my life uh, being an FFA. It also allowed me to create long lifelong friendships that I've had involved, not only in my local community of people that I served with in the local FFA, but regionally and statewide. It also helped put me in a competitive situation, which is something that I always strive to do, uh, being competitive not only with my peers locally, but on the regional, state, national level. I think competition is great. And the more that we can breed into our people to embrace that competition, um, the higher we're going to reach everybody. And FFA does that in a really meaningful way for these kids uh, in the competitions that that you all have and participate in. And uh, for me, it also helped because my FFA advisor and teacher and ag teacher at the time is still one of my best friends today. I, I consider him to be maybe my best friend. I mean, he always makes a joke that, it shouldn't be right that a 72 year old man has a best friend that's 35. You know, it just <laughs> it shouldn't be that way, but that's the way that it is. I mean, your ag yeah. teacher, unlike most every other profession in the ag world becomes kids, best friends, and they become mm-hmm. lifelong friends with them. And you know, what my FFA advisors was able to do to me is at a point in time in my life, whenever I was kind of getting off the rails, they helped get me back on the rails. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, they were very uh, instrumental in my life helping me stay on the right track to become the man that I am today, the husband, the father, and the business person that I am. And, you know, that's really unique and special, in my opinion, to FFA and ag advisors and teachers across the state of Kentucky. My situation is no different than thousands of other kids that participate in FFA. 
Yeah, I think that's so special. And it never gets old hearing the stories from people similar to yours of the experience and the um, lifelong lessons that they they got from FFA and especially that relationship with their ag teacher and FFA advisor. I'm a little biased. My mom was one of my ag teachers, so I had a great relationship with my ag teacher. <laughs> and I know a, a different relationship than probably most would, but nonetheless, still really special. And I think it would, I know you've touched on how important that relationship was with your ag teacher and, and still is. So tell us a little bit, like what were some of those key lessons that you still use today that you learned from your ag teacher? Um, well, the ones that I can tell, I guess, is the ones that I'll uh, speak about. You know, I, the, the people on here that would know Ken Parsons, which who is uh, who I'm talking about, uh, knows that he's a goofy guy too. You know, he's a goofball. He likes to cut up and cut around. But, you know, one of the things that I think I learned from him is that there's a time to joke and be a cut up and there's a time to be serious in business and uh, getting the job done. And, uh, you know, that that's probably been one of the key things that I've been able to utilize on my life because it's about relationships. And that's something that he also taught me is that leadership is not about how smart you are. Uh, leadership is not necessarily about how talented you are. Uh, leadership is about how you can communicate and have relationships with people to be able to get the job done. And mm -hmm. the more that they can trust you to know that you're always going to have their back, which is something that he instilled in me, uh, the more that you can understand that that person cares about you and your situation, uh, the more that people are going to be willing to follow you. And that's really, I'd say if I had to learn one key thing from leadership and FFA and leadership from my ag teachers, those would probably be the things, trust and relationship uh, for the people, for you to be a leader that people want to follow. Yeah. Solid advice. It's really good. Um, Jonathan, you told us that you had a story that maybe would mean that your ag teacher lost some trust in you at FFA camp <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a prank war. If you've ever been to FFA camp, um, there are sometimes pranks, good or bad. I was pranked at FFA camp and I don't like pranks. I'm, uh, I don't take it that easily. And so <laughs> my ag teacher, Bobby Pease, he just made your life miserable with the pranks. And so uh, I don't know. Tell us a little bit about some trouble you got in at FFA camp that maybe the students will, will not be inspired by. We should say not be <laughs> Well, yeah. so uh, people listening to this will know a lot of these names um, if they've been around FFA for a while. But uh, the late Neil Floyd, uh, who has passed away, that used to be the Jessamine County um, uh, FFA advisor, was the kind of the ringleader of this, if I remember the story correctly. Uh, Shane Wiseman, uh, Kevin Anderson, Wes Williams, uh, Ryan Williams. There's and and I'm probably forgetting several people who were involved in this shenanigans. But they go back and forth. They were the ones that we were kind of at FFA camp with every single year, and uh, they were menaces, really. I mean, that's what they were. They were menace to society or menace to the FFA world, and they would pull pranks. and And my FFA advisor Ken Parsons, he would pull pranks back on them, and it was just a back and forth. And so one time they involved me. So Neil came to me and he said, Jonathan, I need you to unlock Ken's truck. They didn't tell me why. I didn't tell me anything else. You know, being 16, 17 years old, I was ready to mess with Ken Parsons myself. So um, I, I made this whole story of he pulls in from being out. He had gone somewheres and came back to FFA camp in his truck. And, and I had caught him before he could get out and lock his truck. And I got in the truck and I put my arm around him. I gave him the sad, sad story about this girl, you know, I was sweet on and she'd rejected me and I needed advice, you know, which was all made up. Um, and so I had my arm kind of on the back of his, of the chair and the, he had one of those sliding glass doors 
And so I just unlatched the sliding glass door without him knowing as I was getting out of the truck and we just kind of ended our conversation. We get out and, and we go about our way. Well, the next morning, whenever we all wake up, apparently all these men had gone out and gotten about seven to 10 bags of packing peanuts and had filled his truck from floor to the roof of packing peanuts. And you could just hear him squalling whenever he came outside yelling and carrying on and just, it was the funniest thing. And he opens this door and, you know, he's having to clean it all out and they're all coming out. Well, he told a story about 10 years later, he is driving down the road, got his windows down on the interstate and literally one of those packing peanuts 10 years later <laughs> kind of whizzed up in between him and whoever he was with. So it was something that was an ongoing situation yeah. for him. <laughs> That's a great story. And we will be sure to tag all those current ag teachers who, who are still <laughs> practicing. Maybe their students not feel inspired by this story. They, they have yeah. earned the payback. Well, I want to ask you about the ag tag program. Um, the Ag Tech program since 2012 has really kind of formalized how it is. If people don't know, when people get a farm license plate, they can pay $10. It's typically included in their statement with their county clerk. And that $10 is divided three ways between the Kentucky Proud Program, Kentucky FFA, and Kentucky 4-H. Kentucky FFA takes our funds. This year, totaled $245,000 for Kentucky FFA. We give half back to the county that it originated in, and they can meet any need that they want locally. Uh, we use our half that we retain at the Kentucky FFA Foundation to help pay for our state fair. We um, pay for national convention travel for students, Ag Achiever grants for chapters to help increase their curriculum offerings that they have. So this fund has become so important um, to communities across Kentucky. And so what would you say to folks about, one, maybe to FFA members about how they should be promoting it locally and folks listening about why they should pay that $10? Well, you know, I, I think it's an amazing program. It's one of the easiest ways to be able to give back to your community and to the future of agriculture. And if I had to say to FFA members and people who are interested in promoting this, it is if you want to, if you want to, everybody talks about wanting to make a difference. You know, I want to make a difference here. You know, I, I need purpose in my life for this or for that. They want to make a difference. This is probably the easiest way, easiest, most inexpensive way that one individual can make a difference because if you just give $10 to something, it's, you know, it's, it's nice, but it's not going to change the world. But if we have a million people giving $10 across this state, it's going to change a lot of people's lives. The more people that we can get involved, the better off. And over the eight year period, uh, the last eight year period, and really, if you go back another 12 to go, to do a 12 year period, it's gone from about 20% involvement to 39% involvement. So there's been a huge increase uh, mm -hmm. during the last administration and, uh, you know, I want to I want to increase it even more. I'd love to get to 50 percent involvement from our ag tag program. I know that's a huge goal. Uh, it's probably not realistic uh, as we sit here today, but I think it's something that we should shoot for to be able to increase these dollars for these kids and for the organizations involved, because it's a direct impact that these kids are able to have not only on the local level with the half match back, but also with what you're promoting and doing on the state level. And a lot of times this is going to more of your vulnerable kids and communities to be able to help get the need met of being able to have these life-changing experiences that we just talked about, of that kid getting their first FFA jacket or that child being able to uh, start an SAE program or the shark tanks or being able to go to FFA camp to be able to have the experiences that you and I and others have been fortunate enough to have. And so it's just an easy donation to make. Um, you know, you'll never miss it. $10. I mean, we spend that at a gas station now. 
Yeah, it truly is a, a small thing that makes a really lasting impact. And it's very, a lot of people like to give locally and, and grassroots, and that's the perfect way to do that. And we, we get to tell stories all the time about the change that we see that those dollars make. So we yeah, love I'm hoping Sheldon it. does not start talking about those because she makes me cry every time that she starts talking about one of these situations that she deals with. And uh, she's an amazing storyteller for the organization, but the impact is so immense that you can have on one child's life. You know, we, we were talking earlier about my children being adopted, two of them, and being a part of the CASA program. And I tell people that adoption and fostering is a direct impact in changing someone's completely changing their life. And that's what you all are doing with these dollars. I mean, you're talking about people and children and, and kids in these organ or in the in FFA that otherwise may not be able to have some of the things that everybody else gets. I mean, you know, my family was well enough off to be able to get the FFA jacket, to go to camp, to pay for the things. But I know kids that were in my class that didn't get to participate because they didn't have those funds and resources. And the more that we can help provide that, the more they feel like they're a part of things. That may be your next uh, CEO of of one of the major mm -hmm. companies that are in ag business because they were able to participate and felt wanted and needed and valued in this organization. That may completely change the trajectory of their life just because somebody gave $10. Yeah, that's absolutely. Right. And how the ag tag program has grown, you know, our impact is that we want every student, if they're sitting in this class watching this, if they are, if this is years from now, looking back, we want to make sure that any student who's sitting in an agriculture classroom, that they get to have a full FFA experience without having to come up with the finances themselves. And there, it is hard. You know, FFA camp costs money, going to national convention costs money, state convention costs money. And we want to just offer opportunities that if a student can't afford it, there are jacket grants, there are camp scholarships, yeah. there are ways for them to get there that their ag teacher knows about, that their local community is provided, that the FFA Foundation is provided. We don't want finances to be a barrier of entry. So as the ag tag program grows, as FFA grows, we really are a philanthropy. You know, we, we are growing leaders, uh, building communities and strengthening agriculture. And we're doing that through the support especially through the ag tech program. So if you are going to make your payment on your farm license plate, if you've got 10 farm trucks, pay for all 10. It all matters. It really makes a significant difference. It does. I know the ag tech program is something that's going to be a focus of your administration, but you know, in the beginning of your term, we want to give you the opportunity just to kind of share with our listeners, what are some things that leaders of all ages in agriculture can look forward to in your administration? You know, the, the priorities for me haven't changed since the campaign, looking at where we're going with this. You know, the, the benefit that I have uh, that, that a lot of previous administrations have not had, um, going back from uh, Commissioner Comer to Commissioner Quarles, is there were a lot of building phases that both of those men had to do in, in certain areas. I have the ability because they've been, it's been run for so well for so long now over the last 12 years that, that we're really able to do uh, kind of an expansion of the excellence that's in the Department of Agriculture and really focus on uh, trying to take it to the next level. And so what I want to be able to do is to take an inventory of what our agriculture uh, infrastructure looks like in the state of Kentucky from a, from the commodity side, but also uh, really putting a tent around industrial development for agriculture, ag, mar ag, ag manufacturing, and really working on secondary manufacturing of of ag products instead of putting the corn and the beans and the cattle on barges and trucks and sending them out of the state for somebody else to refinish, refine, and add value to. Let's do that here in Kentucky uh, with Kentucky workers, Kentucky farmers, Kentucky businesses, and rural communities across the state. That's that's really number one priority for me is, is trying to focus on exactly that. 
to make sure that we have opportunities for these kids that we're talking about being an FFA, if they live in Robertson County and, and they want to stay, that there should be opportunities for them to do that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think the best way that we can do that is focus on secondary manufacturing and agriculture and looking at how do we add value to those products to send out to the rest of the world. Um, the second thing is, is on-farm retail and local marketing of our ag products and, and looking at partnerships with places like hospitals, school districts, nursing homes, jail systems, uh, places that have to have food on a daily basis of really looking towards uh, the vegetable and, and commodity market from, from a food standpoint of getting fresh food into these organizations, into these businesses on a daily basis uh, through uh, either co-opting or specific uh, delivery uh, marketing that we can that we can provide for, but also getting people on the farm more with on-farm retail and direct marketing. The more that we can get people on the farm, the closer from the farm gate to the food plate that our consumers get, the more educated they are and the more profitable that our farmers are. And so that's really going to be a second priority of mine is, is really focusing on getting people on the farm that are not farmers or not a part of the agriculture community so that they can understand it. So they don't have to listen to the TikToks and the news media whenever they give out false information about our industry. And then the last thing is, uh, as many people see, I have felt it and I see it, that we have uh, organizations across this country and across the world that are uh, anti-animal agriculture, anti-crop agriculture, uh, that are really trying to redo and refocus what we do in agriculture, not because they're the smartest people or they understand it better, but just because they're the loudest and they have a different agenda. And so what I want to do is to be able to have the resources to push back against any of these regulations that are coming down from Washington or national organizations that really want to try and uh, push us in a direction that we don't need to go. And so what I've seen happen in the coal industry and other highly regulated industries in the state of Kentucky over the last couple of years that have decimated us, I don't want that to happen to Kentucky agriculture. I want us to stay strong. I want us to stay sustainable. And I want us to be here for not only the legacies that people have today, but the legacies of these young kids that are coming through FFA that want to be involved in agriculture for them to have the opportunity to leave a legacy themselves. That's great, Jonathan. That's great. We look forward to working with you in all kinds of ways over the next um, years of your administration. Uh, we've appreciated the partnership with the department of agriculture for many years and um, we, it's going to continue. It's going to be great. We are so blessed with good leadership in agriculture in Kentucky. So, and FFA has grown those leaders uh you all are in offices now. The past three commissioners of agriculture have all been uh, significant FFA members, had a rich FFA yep. experience, and it's mattered. Yeah. You know, in the state legislature, too, there's uh, several former state FFA presidents and state officers and people yeah. who were there. That yeah. was something that I noticed whenever I first got there was the, just the amount of influence that the FFA organization has of people who they built these leaders that are in the legislature currently. Yeah. So a uh, future commissioner of agriculture may be sitting in their high school at classroom today <laughs> watching this. And uh, a couple of questions. What advice do you have for young people who are listening, who are wanting to grow, who are striving to be better leaders in their homes and communities? Um, what do you have for them? I would say get involved. Um, what that looks like may be different for different kids in different areas, but uh, I would get involved. I would look for opportunities as a young person to get involved in your community, whether it be on the, uh, the fair board, uh, local fairs shows, fair boards showing cattle, being a part of that board, working, uh, Farm Bureau, other organizations that are out there. What, what I have noticed, and, and a lot of young people are scared of this because they think that the generations that have come before them are going to look at them as not competent. They're not 
uh, smart enough to be involved. They're 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 not old enough to be involved. They look at they think that a lot of times young people think that older generations look at us that we're not ready to be involved yet. I found it to be the complete opposite. I ran for office the first time whenever I was 24 years old, fresh out of college, newly married, um, you know, didn't understand government or politics at all. But what I noticed was that older generations that came before me were desperate and looking for something to believe in in my generation. And that's what this generation now currently is facing as well. It's not going to be any different for the next generation that comes after us, that they're always looking for what something to believe in in the generations that are here. You just have to get out and give them something to believe in, to show them uh, that, uh, you know, you are worth investing in, you are worth being there. And it, it shouldn't be looked on as uh, as adversarial, but it should be a challenge that you take upon yourself to prove yourself to this generation. And, um, you know, if I had to give one piece of advice, that would be it. Get involved in your community and show them that you're worth investing in and worth being a part of. Hmm. There's so much power in the advice of like showing up and being involved. And I hope our listeners that are, especially the students that are listening to this, they take that and run with it because that's, that's some solid advice. Yeah. Yeah, I tell people all the time, I'm never going to be the smartest person in the room. I'm never going to be the most talented, but I can guarantee you that I'm going to work as hard, if not harder than anybody else that you're going to come across. And that's, I mean, that's, that's 90% of being able to be successful. It's what I teach my kids. And that's what I try to teach people whenever I come in contact with them. Yeah. Well, speaking of advice, we we do always ask our guests on the podcast the same three questions and you are no different. So we want to get your take on these questions as well. Um, so if what is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? Always be willing to do the job that you're asking somebody else to. And uh, that comes from my granddad. You know, we would never ask an employee uh, that works on our farm to do a job that we weren't willing to do ourselves. And uh, I think that that builds that respect and that trust, knowing uh, that that you're willing to get down in the mud if you have to as well, uh, alongside somebody digging a ditch out, that you're not just standing above them, that you're not better than them, uh, that you're willing to be there with them on their level. That's good, Jonathan. Uh, Another question we wrap up with is, you know, FFA, we're philanthropy. Philanthropy is all about giving back. Um, This is your time to just shout out somebody who's poured into you. So who's somebody in your life who's they've, they have poured in into you and made you the leader you are. Well, <laughs> that's a hard one for me because it just, I feel so grateful to so many people uh, that are across this state uh, that have poured into me in, in my political career, but also in my personal life. But I know this is going to sound sappy um, and it's probably an easy way to do it without, without getting away from having to single out other people across the state. But Uh, You know, my granddad was probably the person who invested the most in my life, um, who taught me the most. He's been gone three years now. I miss him every single day. Uh, I tell people all the time that I wish I could go back one more time and have the opportunity to fight with him and my dad in the morning about what we were going to do that day. And uh, those of you that come from a farm family or a farm kid, you know exactly the scenario I'm talking about. Everybody meets in the morning. You're going to talk about what you're going to do that day. Everybody's saying the same thing, but a different way. And everybody's fighting about it. (laughs) I'd love to go back one more time and have that experience of being able to listen to my granddad, fuss at my dad for not getting the cattle the way that he wanted to somewheres or, or something on those lines. But uh, my granddad uh, was somebody, not just that poured into me, but whenever he passed away, Sheldon, at the funeral, when people would come through the line, you'd have people of every walk of life, poor, rich, black, white, brown. I mean, it just every walk of life, every demographic, every racial ethnicity, everything would walk through that line. And they would talk about how he invested in their life in some way from some advice or, or get, picking them up whenever they were down in some scenario or some situation, things that we would never have heard 
that he would never have told us about, but that he did to try and impact somebody else's life. And that's what I've tried to mold myself after. I fall short every single day of becoming GB Shell, but that's my goal in life is that uh, whenever I die, that people say that he lived a life just like GB Shell. Yeah, there's no better legacy to leave behind. It's a great memories. Um, the last question we always ask our guests, and this is kind of a fun one. So what's something that you're loving right now that's been helping you grow? So it could be a gadget, a habit, a book, anything that's helping you grow as a leader. Yeah, I'm probably late to the game, but podcast and uh, audio books have really been my friend for the last three years as I've traveled the state. I've got a lot yeah. of time on my hands in the truck. And uh, so I actually I, I, I bought a truck three years ago uh, uh that I, that I, I use on the farm. And it's the first truck that I've had that had Bluetooth connected to it. Yeah, uh, I got fancy. it from one of your all's, I bought it from one of your all's great sponsors, uh, Tanner Dodge and Daryl Billings <laughs> and uh, someone who's invested a lot in my life as well. Uh, shout mm -hmm. out to Daryl. Um, but uh, I bought it and I love it because I can just put it on, you know, on the truck and I can listen to an audio book or, or a podcast. And um, a lot of times it was, you know, I, I listened to, um, you know, just business stuff or things, but I've gotten to where that I, I've got this book series that I listen to and I'm actually re-listening to it right now. It's, it's, it's a, it's a little bit of a fantasy type deal. It's a cross. I tell people it's a cross between uh, like game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings. It's um, what's it it's, called? It's really good. Uh, um, Northern sky. Okay. But there's a three book series. The it's the wolf, the spider and the, uh, uh, the, uh, cuckoo, I think is the last one. Okay, very cool. We'll write that down. Ruthann and I are both big readers and listeners, and we we mm -hmm. love that. That's great. Yep. Jonathan, this has been a, a wonderful conversation, and I'm so excited for students and teachers, our our sponsors, and just people who follow you too to to, mm -hmm. to hear from you. You're a wonderful leader, and we just really look forward to working with you over the years to come. I need to quit calling you Jonathan, start calling you Commissioner Shell. No, please don't. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that is so, yeah. so excited about all the things to come, and we are just so grateful for you giving us uh, some time today to talk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, Sheldon, for the leader that you are in FFA, and uh, I sing your praises everywhere I go. You've been a game changer <laughs> for the organization. Thank you, and, and Ruth Ann, thank you for your leadership. Uh, there at FFA and and you all just keep doing what you're doing because you're creating the leaders of the future. Yeah, we will. And people keep supporting us. It really matters. So you all, thank you for joining us for another episode of Growing Kentucky's Leaders. Growing Kentucky's Leaders is a podcast from the Kentucky FFA Foundation. The music has been performed by Bourbon County FFA member, Joe Fritch. Production is provided by Isaiah Pruitt. Our artwork is by Julie Fritch Creative. Your hosts are Sheldon McKinney and Ruth Ann Fink, and you can find us on all social platforms at Kentucky FFA.